Good morning. Um, Our reading for today is from Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, to chapter 4, verse 7. And if you would like, you can follow along in your bulletin on page 6. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The word of the Lord. I mentioned the World Series earlier, but I, I feel like I didn't do it justice. It is appropriate for us to celebrate good news. Uh, the Nationals, no, it's a, it's a great thing. <laughs> Sorry, I know not all of you are baseball fans. Um, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Let's pray. We got to pray. Let's ask for God's help. Jesus, we need you. Most of the time, we're faking it like we have no needs. Most of our waking hours in the last week, if we're honest with ourselves, we we lived pretending like we were self-sufficient, like we had the answers, like we were on top of our game, even if secretly, maybe in our hearts, we knew it wasn't the truth. At least it's what we wanted other people to believe, but you know the truth. We depend upon you for all things. We need you. We're desperate. We're tired. Some of us are depressed and lonely, broken up, helpless, no answers. We need you. So the good news is that you are very, very near, not far off. Near to us, especially in this word, your words. You tell us that if we would listen closely with hearts of faith, we would even be able to hear your voice because you speak to us through your word. So come and speak because we desperately need you despite our pretenses. Puncture through them. Lay us bare before you and even before one another as little children that we really are in need of the love of our Heavenly Father. So come. Come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is a Christian? This question was posed by theologian and author J.I. Packer. 
in a chapter that he wrote entitled, Sons of God. He wrote there, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as a father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. So, whether you are today a professing Christian, or if you've just started exploring the Christian faith, how much do you make of this thought? This thought that not only do you have the dignity of being made by your creator, the maker of all things, but that on top of that, if you bank your life on Jesus, not only are you forgiven of your sins and accepted as righteous by God, the merciful judge, but also, and greatest of all, you've been made his beloved child. You've been made the heir of the God of the universe, who is also your loving, heavenly Father. You see, the gospel is not just that you're not guilty, you are free to go. The gospel is your beloved, you are free to come near into the very arms of God. Have you made much of that belief, that promise lately? Dear friends, do you have any interest in doing so today? The Apostle Paul makes much of this promise in today's passage. It's the dominant theme. You see it multiple times in chapter 3, verse 26, right from the start. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. In chapter 4, verse 4, a little bit down below, when the time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, verse 5, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Verse 7, you are no longer a slave spiritually, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You're a child of God, a son of God, a a daughter of God in relationship with the God of the universe whom you can now call daddy. Would you dare to believe it, that you could have that kind of intimacy, that kind of interaction knowledge? Can you dare to believe that God would love you that much as a parent loves his or her child? It's an amazing thing. And in fact, it's a unique claim of the Christian faith that no other religion really dares to make to talk about God in this fashion. But maybe already you're wondering, well, I don't get really what's so special about this. Aren't we all God's children? Well, I think the Bible would agree in a sense that God made and that God cares for all people, all people. 
In Acts chapter 17, the same author, the Apostle Paul, himself says of the whole human race, we are indeed God's offspring, descendants of our creator, his progeny, as it were. But the book of Galatians is talking about something unique, even beyond the offspringship of all people in the human race. You see, what Paul here in Galatians is talking about is not something that's natural, not something that we have just by being human beings created in God's image and loved by him in that broad sense. Rather, in chapter 3, verse 26 here, it's clear that you are all children of God, Paul says. How? How did you become children of God? Well, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's a blessing, it's a privilege that comes along with our embrace of Christ and our being brought into God's family through him, our eldest brother in that family. We also see this in the language of adoption. You might have seen that in chapter 4, verse 5, a little bit below. We're not born into the family of God biologically, simply by existing in the human race. Rather, we're brought into the family of God as a gift, spiritually. In other words, we are, because of our sin by nature, what you might call spiritual orphans, fatherless, parentless. Even slaves, Paul says here in this passage. But God adopts you as his child. And he does this through his one natural son, the very son of God, Jesus. As he says in verse 4, But when the set time had finally and fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Why? That we might receive adoption to sonship. Beloved, your adoption papers were signed with the blood of Christ. And so God is inviting us into this rich experience of a childlike relationship with him. There's nothing else like it in the world to know God in this way. Do you know him in this way? How does it change our lives? How does it change the way that we relate to God? What does it look like to live in light of our adoption in Jesus? And this is what I'd like to look at together with you in the remainder of our time. I think we see five things, or at least five. There's a lot going on here. Five privileges Five blessings that you might describe as such. Access, security, affection, family, protection, and provision. Five blessings that we have as children of God if you're in his family through Jesus. Let's take a look at each one of those one at a time. Number one, access. We're told in chapter 4, verse Six here that as children that we have the privilege of calling out by God's Spirit, calling out Abba, Father. Again in verse 6 it says, because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba, 
Father. And that word there, call out, can also be translated cry out. There's an intensity there. Like a child crying out for her parents in the middle of the night. What's the blessing here? It's the blessing of access. You as a child have the right to interrupt God at any time with anything. You might know the story that was well known. In fact, the video of it went viral when one afternoon when a reporter, anchor person from BBC, the London-based but global news network, interviewing a pundit, an expert, on the topic of North Korea, who, sitting in his home office with his library behind him, proceeded to explain some of the dynamics going on about two years ago in some of the tensions and the threat of nuclear conflict that was opening up on the world stage. And as this expert was sharing his perspective and interchanging with the news anchor, as you may know, there behind in the video that you could see there opens the door of his home office and saunters in this little two or three-year-old child, clearly having no clue and no care at all as to what important thing was happening with daddy in front of her, coming in and bursting in, going beneath her dad's feet where he was sitting. And the funniest thing, of course, is in about three or four or five seconds, you see mom diving in through the door, <laughs> realizing what had just happened, doing everything she can to hide unsuccessfully beneath the camera. We could all see her crawling on the ground to retrieve her child and to pull her out the door. Dr. Kelly actually uh, received quite a following, a little bit of added fame because of his child's quote-unquote misbehavior. No, it wasn't misbehavior. The child was being the child. That's not an expert on North Korea policy. That's not a pundit on a world news station. That's my daddy. Why wouldn't I be allowed to jump in and play, and in fact, that's the desk where I play all the time, isn't it? Dear friends, you have no less a right to access your heavenly Father, to burst in, to sit in his lap, to be a child and to draw near to him, to have privileged access to your God. And of course, no one would fault Dr. Kelly for that moment as he's trying to keep his child out of the camera's way. You know what God's like? He'll scoop you up and put you in his lap. Because there's nothing more important that your Heavenly Father is ever doing than setting his eyes upon you. One of my kids' favorite jokes these days is to call me by my first name. <laughs> you know, kids... Learn that you have a name, even when you're their parent, and they decide to use it all the time. Recently, one of my kids asked, why don't we get to call you Duke? Like it was an injustice, right? <laughs> and I told them, well, 
not everyone gets to call me by my first name. That's special. But actually, a lot of people call me Duke. A lot of people call me Duke. But only you get to call me Daddy. And then they said, okay, Duke. (laughs) (laughs) Only you have privileged access. Only you get to use that name. Father. Daddy. Do you know a God like that? A God who's never surprised by your needs. A God who never pushes you away. A God who's never annoyed or irritated because you're bringing that thing again or you're hurt in that way again or you're frustrated or disappointed or hard-hearted or even sinning in that way again. His love is very long, your heavenly Father. He cares for you, inviting you to enter in with that childlike boldness. The apostle writes in the letter to the Ephesians church, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, these words, through faith in Christ, we may approach God with boldness and access with confidence. And there, the word boldness actually means speaking with a fearless confidence, freedom and openness of speech, sort of like a child blurting things out inappropriately, as it were. You can say anything you want to your God. Do you pray that way? Or are you always editing yourself before your heavenly Father? Do you feel like you need to pray perfect prayers? Or that you can't bring that corner of your life to Him? What have you been holding back from your God? Because He longs for you to be a child sitting in his lap. He knows it all anyway, but what he wants to do is to connect with you over that very thing, that grief, that sin, that corner of evil in your life, that hurt, that wound. What is it that you've been holding back? Maybe it's something that you haven't really been putting words to to any other human being. You're just carrying it all alone. Don't you know you need to tell somebody You actually do need to tell a flesh and blood human being someday. That's the only way that we can bear our burdens, the only way that we can heal. But here's a way that you can start by telling a person, namely your father. If it feels too scary, settle down quietly. Sometime this week, whisper it to him. Tell him so. Journal it down. Write it in, sometimes I'll do this, code right? Just the initials of the key words, because I'm too scared to even write the whole word out. Guess what? He's listening. He's loving. He's receiving your childlike boldness. Will you pray to him and come to him like that? Number two, and secondly, we have not only access, we have security. We have security as children. In the last sentence of our passage in verse 7, Paul says, God has made you also an heir. And he actually uses that word heir four times in this passage. And the language of being God's heir points to our heavenly father's generosity. He's rich and he's going to give you everything. Everything that is your father's is yours. Do you know that? But secondly, it also points to our security. Why? 
you know, an inheritance is different from a paycheck. How? Because it's based, that's right, Jim, you don't earn it. It's based on a relationship, not on your performance. Inheritance is all by grace. It's all by loving relationship, and therefore, it's a far firmer foundation to find security in, in your fellowship with God. This is a God who makes you an heir. Don't you know he loves you so? And he's not going to change his mind. We also find this security in the idea that Paul presents again and again as our sonship and daughtership as being something that we have a legal right to, a legal claim. See, God in the gospel actually gives you as a child a new legal status before God. You see, you may or may not know that the phrase here that we translate in verse 5, adoption to sonship, it actually was a single word in the original ancient Greek language. It was very well known. Every person in Paul's audience would have known the word immediately. And it referred to a legal process common in the Roman world. So if you were a wealthy person, but you had no children, and so you had no one to pass on your wealth or your estate on to, then what you could do legally is you can adopt a child, a boy. Legally, all that child's debt would immediately be canceled, and they would start fresh, and then that child would immediately receive all the financial and legal and social privileges as the son and the heir of their new father. So when Paul uses this word, everyone in the church would have, would have understood that what he was talking about was a, a, a right to being a child that was granted to those that were being adopted. It's why some Bibles translate that same phrase, we receive the full rights as sons. The Bible isn't just talking about the feelings that we might have towards God as his children, though we're touching on that and we'll come back to that. But it's focusing primarily on a new standing with God, a new set of guarantees, promises that God your Father cannot break. And by the way, this is also why you might be interested in knowing and understanding why our passage refers to sons in the masculine throughout the passage. Did you know that? Maybe some of you were uncomfortable with that. Actually, in verse 26 in the original, it reads, So in Christ Jesus you are all, it doesn't actually say children, it says sons of God through faith. Of course, the word applies to both men and women. Verse 28 makes that clear, there's no male and female in Christ. So you can understand why the translator there opted for the more inclusive word children, because that's accurate. But Paul actually wrote sons, and he does that four more times in verse 5, in verse 6, in verse 7, and in verse 8, since you are his son. He doesn't say child. Son, God has made you also an heir. What is going on there? Paul isn't simply giving in to the sexism or patriarchy of his day. He's making a point. He's being deliberate with this word. And what is that point? Remember, in the ancient world, who was it that received the inheritance of the family? Only the sons. 
Who was it that had full rights and privileges in ancient families and in ancient society? Only sons. And guess what? Paul looks out upon the diverse congregation of Galatia that has not only men but also women, not only freed person but also slaves, not only Jews and also Gentiles. He looks out and he says, you're all sons. Every single one of you in Christ, you are a son. And all the privileges and all the joys and all the gospel rights that you have with your heavenly Father, no matter who you are, whatever your gender, whatever your social status, if you come in Jesus, you are a son of God. And so when Paul says, if you're a Gentile, and you're in Christ, and you're a son, he's saying you're an heir in God's family. And when he says you're a woman and a man, if you're in Christ, then you're also an heir. And if you're a a slave or you don't have a lot to your name, no matter who you are, if you're in Christ, then you're an heir of your heavenly Father. And don't you know your daddy's rich? In other words, Paul is taking a traditionally patriarchal term and he's here in the gospel making it incredibly egalitarian in a way that only the grace of God can. But here's what we have to take away from that, dear friends. If it's our right to be a child and if all the blessings and privileges of being his son and his daughter is given to us by legal right, then don't you know God can't ever disown you. God is not going to forget about you. God is not going to treat you as anything else except as his favored son and daughter. Because God don't play favorites. He treats you even as he treats his one natural son, Jesus. That's his favorite, and we are therefore all in Christ his favorite. Do you know this God who cannot disown you because he cannot disown himself? Do you have that kind of a security in your relationship with God? Or do you live with essential insecurity that so many of us do, uh, wondering if we're ever doing good enough? Wondering if we've failed enough to get booted out of God's house, as it were. He's not like that, you know. The way in which that mindset makes us even look at other people as competitors. uh, People that are ruining the curve at times. Uh, We're wishing they wouldn't do so well just so we wouldn't look so bad. We struggle to celebrate when they succeed. We secretly cheer when they fail. This is a spiritual sibling rivalry that we live with in our hearts all the time, and we wonder why our communities are so fractured and divided. Some of us are insecure in our hearts about our Father's enduring affection and commitment to us, and so we keep ourselves busy. Some of us are so busy, so busy, and yet you still don't know if you're doing enough. Some of you have bombed it really bad, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, 
and you're not sure if you'll ever make it farther than the front porch to your father's house, don't you know he's already offered his favorite chair? Don't you know he's already brought you all the way in? Your sins and your failures, even the worst of them, yes, they do hurt the heart of your heavenly Father, but they do not fundamentally change your relationship with him. Because once a son, always a son. Do you know God in this way? Thirdly, what we find in this promise is affection. Affection, not only access and not only security, but also affection, not just legally, but deeply and personally and even emotionally. That's what verse 6 is getting at when it says, because you are his sons, you already are legally his children. But then he says, because you are his sons, God sent his spirit of his son into where? Into our hearts. The spirit who cries, Abba, Father. God longs not just for you to have a legal status that remains cold in your heart. He wants to give you his Holy Spirit to give you spiritual power to experience richly what it feels like to be a son and a daughter. What's fascinating here is that Paul uses the Aramaic word Abba together with Father. He's speaking to a Greek-speaking audience. He could have simply said, and your spirit teaches you to cry out to God, Father, Daddy, and that would have been enough. Why does he include Abba? Abba is an Aramaic word that would have been the ancient form of the Hebrew language that Jesus in first century Palestine would have used together with Greek. In other words, Paul is making sure to use a word that he knew that Jesus himself used when he cried out to God as his father. You see what Paul is saying. If you are a child of God, you get to use the same names and words as Jesus used for his father. You get to talk like Jesus. You get to Relate to God even as Jesus related to God. And you get to hear the things that Jesus alone got to hear as the unique son of God. If you remember when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened up at the beginning of his ministry and a voice thundered from the heavens, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The father's delight and affection poured out and declared over his son. Don't you know, dear friends, if you are in Jesus, one who has a right to use the very same words for your father as Jesus, Abba, then you also get the same blessing and benediction over you as Jesus. God looks upon you and says, this is my son, you, in whom I am well pleased. This is my daughter, you, in whom I am well pleased. My heart fills with joy, bubbles with delight, and even affection. Your heavenly Father does not only obligate himself to love you, your heavenly Father delights in you. 
It quiets a suspicion that some of us maybe have that God might forgive me and let me off the hook, but he doesn't really like me. He doesn't really want to be with me. Dear friends, if you're in Christ, don't you know your father doesn't just love you. He also likes you. You make him happy. You, you stir the heart of the God of the universe. How can that be? God is like that dad in heaven who's so proud of you, he's taking out his divine smartphone and he's boring all the angels with pictures of you. <laughs> and look at this one. That one's a little blurry, sorry. But this one. And look at her here and look at him there. And it's not just because of things that you do. It's your face. He loves you. Don't you know? As 1 John 3 verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Far too many people, even longtime Christians, live under a cloud of what they believe is low-grade disappointment that God has in them. And it's simply not the gospel reality. God is not a passive-aggressive parent, sort of grumblingly kicking things around, wishing that you would just shape up or ship out. God is a God who looks upon you with affection. Recently, one of my children and I had a, a, a lengthy conversation about a little bit of wrongdoing that this child fell into, and we had to talk through what it meant to ask God for forgiveness. And of course, all the while, it was instructive to my own heart. I mean, this is what happens when you have to preach on things like this. You start to pay attention to what you're telling your children. And what I said to them was, well, you know God forgives you for all your sins. This child said, no, I, I don't think so. And so I knew I had to translate this into something more visual for this little one. And, and so I tapped them on the shoulder as they were buried in the pillow. And I put on the cheesiest, goofiest smile I could muster up in my face. And I said, hey, 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 look at me, look at me. And they peeked out and said, ah, what, what, what? And I said, look at my face. And what do they say? And, and I said, what do you see? And they said, you look kind of happy. I said, that's God's face towards you. And with some profound insight and honesty, the child said, uh, no, it's not. God is frowning at me. Some of you feel that way. If, if you were more honest, some of you might actually say that along with my kid. No, he's not. God is frowning at me. And so I doubled down and made an even goofier smile and pulled them in front of me. And I said, no, look at my smile. God's face looks like this and more. God is smiling at you. God is smiling at you. Beloved, God is smiling at you. Do you see his smiling face by faith? Because this is a God who pours out affection upon his children. Fourthly, 
We're told that being a child means being brought into a family, and I'm going to move through this more quickly than I wish I needed to. The apostle says in verse 29, you are heirs, plural, referencing a whole family that you're surrounded by, other sons, other daughters. In verse 6 again, he says, you are sons, not just singular, a family of one. There are no only children in the family of God. You are being brought into a crowd, a whole family. But he's also very clear that it's a family with a nutty mix of people from all kinds of backgrounds and differences. In fact, it's a family in which barriers that normally divide us as human beings are supernaturally broken down in Jesus. And Paul here in these famous words in verse 28 focuses on three such barriers, race and culture, class. In the Roman world, people were classified not according to their wealth only, but also to their social power, their rank, their education, family background. That's what slave and free referred to. And then also the gender barrier, male and female. And you heard him say this, God's word, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul points to the radical equality that's found in the gospel. Jesus does not show favoritism based upon these distinctions. These differences are not to be essential barriers in the kingdom of God. Which doesn't mean, of course, that all distinctions of ethnicity or class or gender gender are somehow immediately and artificially totally erased. It doesn't mean that he eliminates difference. What he eliminates are difference that becomes preference, favoritism, exclusion. And all this is possible, Paul says, not simply by pretending that we're all okay with each other, but by putting a greater identity banner that subsumes them all into the banner of being a son again of a heavenly father. He says in verse 27, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Christ is now your primary clothing. What's the main uniform that you wear in the world? I don't know what it looks like, but Paul says in the gospel, if you're a son and a daughter, that's what that uniform says. Right there, name tag, son, child, daughter. That's the main you. If you've been brought into the family of God, it's the most radical part of your identity, if radical in the Latin means root, to the degree that our root identity, our foundational sense of worth and sense of who we are is found in Christ. And if that's the case, then we can start to engage freely with people of different backgrounds who have these still vital differences We're not erasing them, but they're nevertheless secondary identities, secondary to who we have now become in Christ. There's a special unity that we can share in this family. Dearly beloved, do you experience that here? Not just abstractly, but even in this family, this local body. How are we doing with respect to gender and class and ethnicity and culture? 
What are things that are getting in the way that are making us not simply divided, but that are communicating preference and favoritism, summed over against others in the family of God? What would barrier-breaking family oneness look like even for this body? And what would it look like for us to labor even beyond the walls of this church to achieve that unity that Christ alone can bring? That's the kind of family that Jesus brings us into. And lastly, he gives us protection. And I'll just say, in passing almost, that so often we have a slave-like or orphan-like mentality that we just feel we need to provide for ourselves. If I don't do this, no one else is going to. If I don't defend myself and protect myself, no one else will. Don't you know you have a heavenly father and it's his ultimate job as parent to protect and to provide. You don't need to do it for yourself. You don't need to run roughshod over other people to get your way because you're afraid you're never going to get your way. You, you don't need to dive into sin and evil and compromise to make sure that you can cling to the levers of power and control over life because you're not sure life is going to work out the way that you think it ought to if you don't make it happen, engineering your future for yourself. No, you have a heavenly father. He's got your back. So you don't need to worry, Jesus said when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Don't you know there are all these birds and squirrels and animals out there? Where do they get their food? You know where? From your heavenly father. They can't call him father, yet he still gives them food to eat. How much more do you think he will provide you with everything that you need? You, O oh child of the king. Because his eye is on the sparrow. How much more is his eye upon you? Even this morning I was up early in the basement and I thought I heard my youngest daughter crying and as sometimes will happen, I found myself in a tizzy and almost sprinting up two flights of stairs only to stop in the darkness and realize nothing. <laughs> Realizing I heard wrongly and it wasn't her, it turned out to be two fighting cats outside. <laughs> kind of sounds the same. But even was thinking, how much more is the ear of your father inclined towards you? hears your every squirm and cry, rushes to your care in fatherly love. I love my kids. I'd do just about anything for them. Your God loves his kids, you, and he has done everything for you, even putting to death his very own natural son, Jesus. That through him and his death, paying the price for all of our sins that we might be not only forgiven but brought in as a friend and not only as a friend but as a child into his family. God did everything to make you his own. How much more is he going to take care of you now? You think he's going to drop the ball now after the great down payment of the blood of Christ that he paid even himself. One of my dear friends shared a story about the way in which he relates to his youngest daughter, his youngest child who he adopted some number of years ago. And he explained that he gets this question all the time from people, do you love all your children the same? He has a couple other children who are their, their biological children, so several biological children, one adopted child. And people ask, do you love all of them? 
the same? And so, of course, the right answer is, well, of course, yes, I love all of them the same. And, and yet my friend said, no, but l- let me be honest with you. I do love one of them more special, <laughs> distinctly. And he was referring, of course, to the adopted child, former orphan, now brought into their family. He said, she is special to me. You know why? Because I had to go get her. Because I had to turn toward her and say, out of, out of all the children in the world, I want you. God says he didn't just stumble across you. He adopted you if you have embraced Jesus for life and salvation. He turned his full attention towards you and he said, I want you. And he knows you by name. And he loves you by name. God loves you and you and you. God adopted you and you and you. Some of us live feeling like we were a a mistake or a, a spiritually unwanted pregnancy. Don't you know? It's just not true. His eyes on the sparrow, his heart is set upon you. So great is your heavenly Father's love for you. Which of these qualities, blessings, are the hardest for you to believe today? Which would be the most transformative to you if you were to believe them? What might happen in your life if you moved out every morning into the world believing that you are a son, that you are a daughter in this fashion? This is what God invites you to especially if you don't know Jesus in this way yet. Today can be that day that you can be a part of the family of God. Today can be the day when you are not only forgiven of your sins, but when you can become a son or a daughter of the God of the universe. Will you receive that invitation, that offer to you? Will every one of you receive that invitation afresh It's an invitation not only to know God like you've never known him before, but to be able to know God and call him Abba. Let's pray. It's what we long for in our hearts. We don't even know how to articulate it. We want to be your children. We want to, if we already are your children, live like children before you by your grace with joy and freedom with obedience and worship and affection. Jesus, come near and send the spirit of Christ again and again into our hearts that we can cry out to you and cling to you and rejoice in you, O Heavenly Father, to whom we now pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing.